Welcome to Black Feathers Podcast, a true and honest conversation about disabilities for all. I am your host, Dr. Crystal Hernandez from the Cherokee Nation. And I am Shauna Humphreys from Choctaw Nation. Cherokee Prayer. O great spirit who made all things, look kindly upon the whole human family and take away the arrogance and hatred which separates us from our brothers and sisters. Welcome to Black Feathers Podcast, Episode 4. Today we have with us Krista Fincher, a Choctaw tribal member, a wife, mother of two, and she works as the director of Chihololi, a residential treatment center for women. She speaks to us today regarding her personal journey with her children and their experience in navigating learning disabilities and anxiety. So Krista, we cannot wait to hear your story. Thank you so much, Crystal and Shauna, for inviting me today to um, just talk about my journey um, with my kids and especially um, with my daughter and some of the challenges that we have faced um, with her educational needs and um, some anxiety needs as well that she's had to navigate. They were adopted um, in infancy, both of my kids. They are now 12 and 13 years old, and my daughter is the 13-year-old. Um, her story as far as educational needs really began when she was three. She entered our local school system, and they had a three-year-old program. And, of course, she's my oldest, first one in school, um, just really not knowing, I guess, what to expect. Um, and so she was evaluated in that three-year-old program, and they said that every child was evaluated for any um, educational deficits. And she was actually identified um, in that three-year-old program as having a um, deficit. And I was called into a parent-teacher conference, um, sitting down and thinking my, my baby is perfect and just not wanting to hear um, that information and not believing that the testing was accurate. Um, and whether it was or not, I don't know at this point, but I wasn't ready to hear it. And so I was asked to sign whether, whether she should qualify for services or not. And I denied services um, at that point. And I look back at that now and thinking, did I make the right choice? Um, um, and knowing what I know now probably would have made a different choice. And I think um, maybe a lot of parents in the beginning, especially with their first, um, aren't ready to hear um, that their child is going to face some challenges. And I sure wasn't ready to hear that. Um, so she goes on into a four-year-old program and seems to do well um, in that. She goes, um, starts kindergarten, no identified problems that we're seeing. She seems to be able to do things that, that are like her classmates. Parent-teacher conferences, nothing is identified. We come to first grade, and that's where, I guess, reading really begins, um, before kindergarten, they're learning sight words, which did not seem to be a problem um, for her. Um, but come first grade, um, the reading begins. And I would just say that we were really blessed um, as parents with the teacher that she was assigned to. Um, this teacher's son had some visual processing disorders and it helped her to identify in my daughter some of the things that she saw in her own child. 
And when she came to me and said, there's some things I'm seeing that are concerning. Um, and at this point, I was starting to see some of the same things. Even though I didn't want to see them, I was beginning to see them. One of the things that she first identified with her is that she was able to read single words on a page as holding up sight word cards or things like that. She was able to do that, but you put multiple words on a page. She was unable to read them consecutively. And she said, there's something about the way she's seeing words on a page. Cause she said, if I take each of these words and put them separately, she can read them. But when you put a, a page of text in front of her, she was unable to. And my daughter identified at that age um, that the words were moving on the page. And so just not really knowing where to go with that, this teacher actually pointed us in the direction um, of a vision therapy center. Um, and that was located in Fort Smith, which is almost a two-hour drive for us. And it was quite expensive. Um, and I know that's that's an obstacle for a lot of parents to face is how to get their child's needs met, um, but also juggle the financial needs that come with that. And that was something we went to Choctaw Nation. Both my children are tribal members. Um, and went to Choctaw Nation and asked for support, and they were able to help us with some of the initial testing cost. But then after that initial testing, she was identifying, identified um, at this vision processing um, clinic um, that she definitely had um, multiple problems. Um, and some of those um, was that she had problems with um, perception and processing, um, like figure ground discrimination. So that was where she had problems seeing those words on a page. They also explained that, I guess, for me to understand, is like a camera focusing its lens onto something that her eyes were not working in unison to focus on the page. So it was as if she had two camera lenses doing different things. So that really helped to me understand how difficult it must be to read. Um, and then she, the, this, um, the doctor explained also that she was, that my daughter was having to spend so much time working and, and executing mental comprehend or concentration to be able to see the word that time she made it through sentences, there was no reading comprehension that was taking place. She had already given and expended all of her energy on actually seeing the word that she had no idea by the time that she had read something, what she had actually read. And that made so much sense to me. Time we got through this, um, those, those initial consultations. Um, and I think it helped my daughter to understand too, that why, why can't I, I read like everyone else? And 
So we went to vision therapy weekly. Um, very, um, it was it was quite a an undergoing to drive that every week. Um, my husband and I alternated taking her, missing work to be able to do that, and then there was a cost that we incurred every week to be able to do that. So we got to a point where they um, actually had, had worked with her quite a bit. She had made some improvements. They gave us exercises to do at home. And they actually, um, I guess, graduated or dismissed her from that. And, and we continue to work on things at home in that area. So she continues in school. We actually held her back that year and in first grade with that teacher's recommendation. Um, but one thing that was that continued to struggle is I was asking for testing at the school, and I was just kept hitting road roadblocks um, because one thing is that my daughter wasn't failing school, and one of the reasons was that she came home with her work, and we would spend whatever time was needed to help her through that process, and sometimes it was very lengthy you know, for a first grader to sit there and being able to do that. So not to, not to say anything about myself, but primarily I was the reason she wasn't failing school, but also that was also hindering her from getting testing um, that she needed at school because nobody saw the need. And so this one teacher, she said, you're going to have to let her fail. And that was really difficult for me to hear. Um, but I, in, ultimately, it's what I needed and what she needed. So I really withdrew um, what I was helping her with at home and allowed her just to do what she could do. The effort that she put forth was what happened. And ultimately, she ended up failing first grade. And because of that, the school recognized that she was needing help. And I think that's, I don't know, that's difficult and maybe, maybe terrible that, that that's what it takes sometimes for your kiddo to get help is for them to fail. Um, because it also affects self-esteem. And, you know, as an LPC, that's something that I work with, um, a lot, um, on my professional side. And, and I, and I see that as, as important as any educational gains is that I'm continually being observant of, of how she feels about herself and, and those things. And I could see that this was affecting her. She was finally um, tested by the school um, between her third and fourth grade year. And she did qualify for services um, in reading. Um, there was, um, there was still more, we didn't know what more, um, but in fourth grade, um, we met an educator. She was placed in a classroom, um, that where we were just setting up her IEP for the first time and it was a challenge and I was uneducated on what my rights were as a parent, what the law was concerning um, those things. And again, I was blessed to have someone come into my life um, that had kind of walked that road before 
she was a teacher, not at our school, but she was a teacher, but also a parent of a child that was dyslexic. And so she had been down this road of IEPs and just advocating for her child. And she really helped me. I had any question that I had, I went to her. She helped me to create a binder with all of those meeting notes and IEPs and questions. And she said, you know, you're going to want to put everything in there. And it really helped me to stay organized on what was going on, on her games and testing and being able to walk into a meeting feeling very prepared um, for what I needed to have for them. And um, just, um, she was a really good advocate and, and for me um, too. She also started working with uh, my daughter um, on some reading. Um, Take Flight was a program that she worked with her on and utilized lots of different modalities um, to help her learn, um, you know, besides um, just putting um, a book in front of her. She did lots of sensory things, um, activity-related things, um, that were really beneficial and so that was a very big help um, for me as well. Um, I start to see in fifth grade, um, I start to see a lot of social anxiety starting and I also think in, in fourth, fifth grade is when your peer group becomes more and more important and that was what was happening with my daughter is that she didn't want to admit to anyone that when she was sitting in a classroom, that she was lost. And she would sit in the room and she would pretend to do her work and just come home with blank pages of unfinished work that then we would spend hours doing. And this is already after she has an IEP. Um, and so she has some accommodations in place, but still with those accommodations, her anxiety wasn't allowing her to ask for the help she needed. Um, and so I said the perfect storm was that every teacher that she's had is, says, oh, she's so sweet. She's, um, she listens so well, um, and I think almost if, if she had had some sort of behavior problem that maybe something would have been attended to more, but she's not that kind of kiddo. She's the kind that the teachers love and that's the, that's the word that's always, always related to her is she's so sweet. Um, um, but that allowed her to get lost um, in a classroom is because she never spoke out. And finally, it was me saying, okay, why do we have all this homework? What is going on? And going to the teacher, and she says, why didn't she come to, to talk to me? Why didn't she tell me she didn't know? Um, but it was her anxiety of, of feeling um, stupid. Um, and those are words that she used, um, my daughter. And so we connected her with the school counselor. And she disclosed to her, the school counselor, that she said, I feel stupid. I feel like everybody's looking at me and everyone in the classroom knows what's going on except for me. 
and I don't want to go ask. I don't want to tell people that I need help. Um, so we worked, um, she worked with this counselor to be able to advocate for herself and ask for, for help in a way that, and then the classroom teacher was also very accommodating and actually put some things in place for the whole class that benefited my daughter. Um, she said these are things that the whole class could benefit for, from, but she uh, knew that that's what my daughter needed um, was some of those. And, and she also connected with a peer um, that she felt comfortable with. And sometimes she would be able to tell the peer that I don't understand um, as opposed to having to approach the teacher. And that was really helpful. Um, so I feel like fifth grade was really a turning point for her is that she found a way to communicate what her needs were and then quickly found that people responded um, in a um, compassionate way to what she needed. Um, and that was the year also that, like I said, this was an easy road. Um, there was IEP meetings that I left in tears. And I don't know if that's a common experience, but advocating for your kiddo is, is difficult. It's emotional. Um, there was times I felt leaving, left in those meetings, you know, that just defeated, um, that I wasn't doing enough. The school wasn't doing enough and we just weren't getting answers. And, um, so I actually made an appointment with her pediatrician at um, our Choctaw Nation healthcare system. And this is a pediatrician that my daughter has seen um, for a long time. And we just discussed her, her learning problems. And she, we talked about neurological deficits, um, something that has gone, um, we've explored, but has gone unanswered is um, my daughter seems to be able to make educational gains um, in one year, but the next year we seem to be starting at the very same place that we did the year before. Like there's nothing ever to build on. And we believe maybe there's some, some neurological things that are going on that just haven't been explained yet. And, um, so I've looked up articles, we've, we've talked about it, um, and I don't know what the answer is in that area, but currently my daughter's in seventh grade and she is reading on a second um, to third grade level. And this year she had the... Um, choice, I guess, was the first time she's in junior high for the first time. And I, I didn't know what that would bring for us. Um, I was scared because we have all these classes now and all these teachers. And I thought, this is this is a recipe for disaster. Um, but she also got to choose electives for the first time. And my daughter was very sports oriented. And that that's, that's where she gets... Um, where she gets those feelings of worth is she excels in those areas and, and we um, encourage that for her. Um, 
but um, they also get two other electives. Well, we found out with having an IEP is that she was required to take a special reading class um, and also a class which they call life skills. But really what it is is a class um, that is with the special education um, instructor. And it's just so happened, I'm not sure how, but in the, in the school system in seventh grade, my daughter is the only one um, in both of those classes. No other child is identified as having a reading problem or in special ed in the seventh grade, according to them. So I'm not sure how that works, but she is the only student in her reading class. She's the only student in the special education class. And I was really worried. I was worried she'd be identified in junior high. And, and we know social groups aren't at that age, aren't always understanding of special needs. And I was concerned. I talked to my daughter about it. And she, she really um, likes the special, edu special education instructor. And that was her only buy-in. She said, if she's doing the class, then I'll take the class. And I was very thankful for that and the connections that they have made over time. And it, this actually has been probably one of her very best years um, at this time. What I'm seeing and what the special, edu special education teacher is seeing is that um, she's advocating for herself. She makes sure, my daughter makes sure that her accommodations are right that every teacher is meeting those accommodations. She tells um, her, you know, the special education, if, she, if those accommodations aren't being met, she tells me. Um, and to me, that's just a proud moment of her being able to see the benefit um, of those and still working hard. And um, this actually special education teacher, she said, she's the first student I've had that is she brings me things to me before I have a chance to check up on her and, and work through those issues. She's the one doing it. And we've just come a long way in that area from the kiddo in fifth grade that sat in the class lost and feeling just utterly frustrated um, to this kid that is just um, speaking up for herself and, um, and being able to be a voice for her own education. And we just had a meeting and she's doing very well. She has A's and B's in all classes and she's doing really well. Um, I kind of failed to mention and, and I kind of, sorry, out of order, but um, back in fifth grade also is when we started exploring auditory processing disorders too, along with her visual processing, because we just felt like there was more. And thankfully, her pediatrician at Chaucho Nation referred her to our own hearing clinic at Chaucho Nation um, Healthcare System. And they were able to do the testing there. It was quite lengthy and actually a two-day process. And what we found from that testing is that one of the areas that she struggles with the most is being able to, I guess, as far as like in a classroom, as far as being able to hear the teacher and dismiss background noise that's very difficult for her to do is that she wasn't able to do that on the hearing test 
she wasn't able to to differentiate those two. So I just think about the struggles that she has of first not being able to to see words on a page and read, but then also sitting in a classroom where you're not hearing either. So if you're not reading and not being able to process that way, but also struggling with auditory processing, um, just trying to put myself in her place and just looking at the gains that she's that she has made um, despite all of that. Um, it just, I'm gonna say, just a really proud moment, a, a mom moment of the things she's overcome, and 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 I say it's just been a journey. So that um, those are some of the things that we've gone through as a family. So I want to touch on a couple things that you've said because um, I hear this every time I talk to people going into IEPs, leaving IEPs, feeling defeated, overwhelmed, um, you know, in tears, feeling as though you need to contact an attorney sometimes or some type of advocate to assist. And I, I just hope that in our lifetimes we see a time when those meetings go better for the families and for the individuals served. It's so critically important. And then the other piece that I was curious about, you mentioned um, in the beginning you declined services. What services were those that were offered in the beginning? Um, just doing some you know, remedial things in the school system. It was for me. Um, and as this um, teacher friend that I spoke about, um, her child is in college and doing very well. And she explained, you know, that the IEP can follow them into college. And that was something that I had no idea and just was very fearful of, you know, in the beginning of is that I was limiting my child. Thank you for explaining that. It's, it's also something I hear quite often. It's just that misunderstanding of what things are, um, whether that's going in for a formal diagnosis, whether that's agreeing to go to special services or any kind of service. And so I'm, I'm so happy that you, you touched on that. Krista, thank you so much for sharing. And um, it was just a really honest, um, you know, narrative of your journey um, and with your daughter. And um, I'm proud of her too. Like as you were talking about that, it um, just kind of knowing you and knowing her, um, it just really, it made me proud. It gave me goosebumps. So thank you for sharing that. And I do have one question for you. Like if you were to give advice, um, to any other families that may be going through something like this, like maybe at the beginning of their journey, um, what advice would that be? Sean, I think it would be is just don't do this by yourself. Um, I think that this, you know, the one, the parent teacher um, that I knew, and she was invaluable. Um, she was kind of a go-getter, and I think she had kind of walked the hard road, too. And once um, she was um, part of our journey, um, anytime I was frustrated or struggled, um, I would just call her, and she would tell, us, tell me, you know, what are her rights, um, maybe the questions I should ask. Um, so finding maybe another parent that has walked that road before you, I think is really important. Um, just as a parent, I said, just like we we're talking about those IEP meetings that are super emotional. Um, it's tough. Um, although we want to be, have this, um, you know, maybe this disconnect of just, of getting business taken care of. It's our child and it's so emotional. And, um, there's so many times that, 
like I said, I don't know that I was, you know, even though her best advocate, because I just was so emotional about the fact that um, she was struggling and I hated to see her struggle. Um, but just finding someone who you can vent to, who can support you, who can educate you um, and not taking no for an answer. There was lots of no's in our, in our journey, um, lots of dismissive um I guess people and not, and I wouldn't say that they were doing it um, in a negative way, but just not truly taking the time to understand what her needs were. Even though she wasn't failing um, school, I knew that there was something wrong. And um, just being able to keep asking, keep pushing um, until your child gets what they need. Um, and then just working to educate yourself as well. Um, it takes a lot to be able to, because the answers don't come readily. They're not just right there um, at the surface. And sometimes I know with unique diagnosis, um, the answers are hard to find. And we're still on a, on a journey of discovery of, of some of the things that might be able to help my daughter. And I keep asking and, and researching, and um, but I found some supportive people, including um, her doctor, that even outside, I'm going to say we're really blessed, I'm going to say this is a provider at our Chalter Nation Hospital, that she'll contact me and said, I've been thinking about your daughter, and I'm thinking, have we asked this question? I don't know there's a lot of doctors out there that are doing that, and, and she is a general pediatrician. She's not a specialist in, in these things, but to, for her to be thinking outside of work hours about what might help my child means a whole lot. So to find those people in your life is important. Absolutely. Could not agree more. And I love that you, you mentioned the difficulties with anxiety or feeling outcast and the struggles that come with that. A lot of times when we're talking about folks with learning disabilities or uh, neurodiversity or, 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 right? We oftentimes forget that they have the ability to understand and see that people are looking or they feel different. And we shouldn't count on people to always say, oh, I need help. I need help. You know, that is a flawed system. We should be looking at everybody and offering systems that accommodate everybody. Yes, so much. I'm going to say it's it's something that we still work on. Um, I'm glad she's found her voice uh, mostly, but it's something I check in with a whole lot. You know, how's it going in this class? You know, what, you know, do you feel like you need help in this area? Um, and then also, you know, an incident happened this year um, where, like I said, she's the only student in this class, which, you know, just creates an environment to be pointed out. And so she, we were, she and her friends were walking by and somebody said, Oh, there's, there's, there's your classroom. And I asked her how she, you know, how did that make you feel? And she said, well, it's fine. Cause I get a lot of extra help. And so I love the, the, how she, how she, you know, changed that to a positive. Um, but it's something that is definitely, you know, a daily, a daily thing and something that I feel like I need to follow up with, you know, daily, weekly, especially, you know, during these preteen and teen years. So Krista, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was fantastic to hear your perspective and the journey that you've walked. 
in addition to, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned and are willing to share with other listeners and also some of the great things that Choctaw Nation is doing to really reach in and serve individuals in a variety of ways along their journey. So fantastic. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. So I wanted to, there's this article that just came out. Um, It's really looking at the data reported by the National Center for Education Statistics, NCES, and the report's from 2019, and it shows increasing demands for speech-language pathology services in addressing the needs of Native American students with disabilities in school. Specifically, it's looking at a 38% um, specific learning disability, 16% speech-language impairment, and 12% had other health impairments. And so it's really highlighting the increased demand for these services and really showing us the glaring gap in culturally sensitive and culturally rooted providers um, for our Native children. I just wanted to talk about the difference real quick. Um, In a nutshell, auditory processing disorder, it interferes with an individual's ability to analyze or make sense of information taken in through the ears. It can also interfere directly with speech and language, as well as other um, areas of learning and development. And from that, there are several different areas, and we did hear some of those referenced um, in Krista's story. There's phonological awareness, you know, that understanding of letters making up words and words making up sentences, etc. There's auditory discrimination issues, you know, the ability to recognize the differences in the sounds and how the sounds come together to form words and sentences. There's also auditory memory issues. That's the ability um, being disturbed for uh, storing and recalling of verbal information that's provided. There's also auditory sequencing issues, and that's um, being able to remember and then reconstruct uh, the order in which you have been told something um, verbally. And so there's a lot of different things that that go into auditory processing disorder. And a lot of times you hear them, uh, visual and auditory uh, processing disorders kind of linked into one, but they are two distinct different ones. And then visual processing disorder it's really looking at the hindered ability to make sense of information taken in through the eyes. And there's also several categories there, and it can lead to missed visual cues and difficulty with tasks and orienting oneself uh, to space. It also interferes with learning and development and can cause significant issues in school and other life areas. Some of those areas include spatial relation, And that's really looking at the position of the objects in space. And so Krista did share a little bit about that in her story. Um, There's another one that looks at spatial um, and visual discrimination, the ability to differentiate objects based on their individual characteristics. And then visual closure, um, it's being able to see parts of an object or symbol and being able to visually close that by knowing that it's a frequently recognized object. There's also object recognition area um, concerns. That's difficulty um, visually recognizing objects, which are pretty familiar to the person uh, through their senses, but they struggle with uh, routinely recalling them, uh, understanding them. And that really highlights the um, integration and the difficulty with that that we see sometimes in this population, uh, being able to integrate what they're seeing with what they're you know, interpreting. I saw where... Auditory is actually more rare than visual. I had like 
only 3 to 4% of the population have an auditory processing disorder, whereas about 1 out of 4 children can potentially have a visual processing disorder. I don't know if you noticed anything like that in your research as well. There's some auditory processing treatment items that schools can readily do, you know, such as preferred seating, moving kids around in the classroom, using visual cues, and emphasizing key words on something that needs to be understood or remembered, assisting with sequencing for, for the child. Also, assistive technology. We don't always see that available in schools, and that really helps with that background noise that Krista mentioned um, was difficult for her kiddo to kind of differentiate um, and kind of focus on what's being said. And so I've seen a lot of kids do very well if that's offered. And then, of course, the therapies. Um, and then for visual processing, having the ability to, to really look at the oculomotor uh, components that affect the movement of the eyes and how they communicate with the brain. And a lot of times, she mentioned, Krista mentioned, um, it's one-to-one visual training and helping the individual develop those skills to be able to make things match, align, and make sense in their brain. One thing also to note is that a lot of times um, when they're early on screening out and screening in um, diagnostically, some of these things do overlap um, with like other, other disorders like autism, ADHD, et cetera. And so it's really important to get um, appropriate screening and assessment completed by people who understand the differential diagnosis requirements. And then also, just to mention, because we always do, we are lacking significantly in um, Native American um, providers to be able to have that cultural lens um, for our folks. We really lack the instrumentation with the cultural norms. We really lack representation in the providers. And I would love to see us focus more on that, developing individuals, developing instruments, getting normative data, so that when we're using them, it's appropriate. I agree. As a matter of fact, when I was doing my research, I really couldn't find anything Native American specific for auditory and or visual processing disorder. And so I I completely agree. Absolutely. In the research, there is only one mention um, of any type of instrumentation being done on a wide scale, uh, showing promising um, practice and it was done in Navajo uh, preschoolers. It was predictive early assessment of reading and language, the PEARL. And it was looking at dynamic assessment of narratives that measures language comprehension and um, production. And so they did it specifically looking at typically developing language versus language impairments. And they were able to capture enough data to show that it was a promising instrument, but there's still a lot more that needs to be done. But that was the only thing I was able to find relevant. Give me knowledge so I may have kindness for all, Unknown Chief. We need to have a kinder world. We need to have a better understanding of people with differences. And, you know, it's, I speak, you know, for my own child, I want him to be treated with dignity and respect and compassion. And that's what I want for all children and all people. And so we have to do better because we know better. And we have to really teach about kindness and acceptance and inclusion. It really, it really hits your heart when you hear that and hear that how labels, um, the fear of the labels affecting your child for the rest of their life and things like that. And so we, 
we do need a kinder world and one that is um, less judgment on the labels and more just truly about the person. Join us next time as we continue to walk this journey, sharing insights and stories, leaning in on our resilience and perseverance. We want to thank our listeners and hope that you'll continue to listen, subscribe, share, and provide readings and reviews. Also follow us on Twitter at Black Feathers Pod. You can get resources and information about this podcast at blackfeathers.org. Thank you to Cherokee National Treasure, Tommy Wildcat, for the use of your flute music on this podcast. I want to thank Lucas Frazier and the boys for letting us use their drumming music. Please subscribe to Black Feathers Podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. We would love to hear from you. Tell us about your journey with disability and guide us on future episodes of Black Feathers by visiting blackfeathers.org and answering a few short questions at the bottom of that page.